Okay, uh, you can go ahead and turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 22. We're going to be in the first uh, 14 verses of Matthew chapter 22 this morning. Uh, If you don't have a Bible, it should be one right in front of you, and it's on page 1051, um, the Bible there. So today is our, our 13th installment of the parables of Jesus, these parables that we've been going through that Jesus told. Um, Jesus told, uh, tells three parables right in a row, the two sons, the, uh, the tenants, and the wedding feast. And, and Jesus has used these parables to expose the hypocrisy of the religious leaders that he was speaking to at the time. And, and to illustrate some stark contrast uh, uh, between those that will be part of his kingdom and, and those that will not be. Um, we looked at the contrast of, uh, between what you say and what you do in the, the parable of the two sons. We looked uh, last week at the contrast between pride and repentance in the, the parable of the servants. And this week is the contrast between those called and those chosen in the parable of the wedding feast. One of the great questions many of us ask ourselves is, why do some people put their faith in Christ when they hear the good news of the gospel, while others do not? They hear the same message and some respond and and some don't. Why do some hear it over and over and over again and still not accept it? Are those who come to faith in Christ somehow better than those who don't? Do they have better natures? Maybe, maybe they just have less sin, less sin in their life to overcome. Just better people to begin with and not so many obstacles in their way. Well, that can't be. That can't be it because the Bible says we have all sinned. We have all sinned against God. The Apostle Paul uh, called himself the chief of sinners. The chief of sinners. So he certainly didn't have less sin than others, yet he came to faith in Christ. The invitation of the gospel goes out to all, goes out to everyone. So why is it some believe and others do not? That's a question that Jesus explores and answers today uh, in today's parable. The parable of the wedding feast. So let's read what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 22, verse 1 through 14. Follow along with me. And again, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son, and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast. But they would not come. Again, he sent other servants, saying, Tell those who were invited, See, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. The king was angry, and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as as you find. Those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both good, bad, and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw there was a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, Friend, 
How did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, Bind him hand and foot and cast him into outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. So this is a, a typical parable um, of the kingdom where Jesus begins by saying the, the kingdom of heaven is like, and then he goes on to tell a story to, to teach us something about the kingdom. And in this, in this story, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. The first part of the parable focuses, focuses on those who refuse to come. The second part focuses on those who do come. And then at the end of the passage, Jesus gives the, the meaning, the explanation. So let's look at the first part on those who refuse to come. We see that in verses 1 through 7. Let's look at uh, uh, 1 through 4 again, verses 1 through 4. And again, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast. But they would not come. Again, he sent other servants, saying, Tell those who are invited, See, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. Now, this, this whole scene is, is actually a bit remarkable. It's actually a bit remarkable for several reasons. First of all, it's the king who does the inviting. The king is inviting people to a party. It's a great honor to be invited by the king. Second, the occasion is momentous. It's a momentous occasion. It's the wedding of his son. It doesn't get much more important than that. Then third, none of the guests, none of the guests attend. They all refuse to come. Can you imagine, can you imagine inviting people to your wedding and nobody shows up? I mean, you would understand it if a few couldn't make it, but, but if they all said no when it was time, could you even imagine that? And notice the king makes repeated invitations. But when it was time, the, the guests refused to come. Now at that time, it was customary to give two invitations for a banquet. There would be the first. The first would announce the banquet. Would announce that there was going to be a party at this time. And you're invited to come. Ask people to attend. You would give your RSVP. Hey, I'm going to have this banquet. Will you come? Yes, I'll be there. Put two down. Me and my wife will both be there. And the second was given when everything was ready, when it was time, when the party was ready. Hey, everything's ready. Come on in. The king here makes repeated invitations. He sent out the initial invitation. And it seems they replied with their RSVP because they were the guests. They were the guests. Before, you know, they would be invitees, but it refers to them as guests. So, it appears that they accepted that first invitation. Yes, we'll, we'll come. When it's time, he sends out his servants to let them know the party's ready. But they don't come. They don't come. But he doesn't cut them off after, after one try. He, he sends his servants out again. Hey, the, the banquet is ready. Everything is all ready. The food is all prepared. I've got the best, best steaks in town. The tables are set up, the chairs, everything. 
Everything is all decorated. Everything is all ready. The only thing we're missing is, is you. The only thing that is missing is you. So come. Come to the banquet. And this part of the parable is fairly easy to understand. The king in the parable represents God. The son represents Jesus. The wedding, wedding banquet represents the joy of entering God's kingdom. The servants represent the prophets, and the invited guests are Israel and its religious leaders. Like the son that said that he would go in the vineyard and didn't, that we talked about a couple weeks, weeks ago. Or the tenant farmers who refused to pay rent. These guests had been invited, but they reneged on an earlier agreement. They reneged on an agreement to come. The nation of Israel was given an amazing opportunity. They had been invited to be called God's chosen people. They had acted as if they had accepted that invitation. They ran around and they had no problem telling everyone, we're God's chosen people. We have a place of honor. They acted as if they looked forward to going when it was time. But when it actually came time, they refused to come. Even after repeated invitations through God's prophets, God makes repeated invitations. And in his grace, he gives us multiple opportunities to respond to the gospel. How many of these opportunities will we refuse? How will you respond to his invitation? Hopefully not like those in the first part of this parable. How, what did they do? Look again at verses 5 and 6. But they paid no attention. They paid no attention. And they went off, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. How did they respond? With all sorts of excuses. Guests pay no attention to the repeated invitations. Instead, they make all sorts of excuses. One, one goes off to his field to work. Another goes off to take care of his business. Now, doesn't that sound like the excuses people make today when someone tells them about Jesus or the gospel? Well, I, I'm too busy right now. I've got other things to do. I've got other things to take care of. Maybe, maybe we'll talk about that later. I, 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 got, I got stuff to do. Running behind right now. The phrase translated paid no attention comes from a word that means to have no care or concern. To have no care or concern. To be neglectful. The guests are neglectful of the king's invitation. They're more concerned about their own lives than, than attending the banquet. And then some of them get violent. They're hostile to their servants. They seize them. They mistreat them. And they even kill some of them. Luke records Jesus expanding on these excuses in Luke. Luke 14. Luke 14, 18 through 20. But one after another, they all began to make excuses. The first one said, I have bought a field, and I need to go see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen. I'm, I'm going to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I have married a wife, so I cannot come. 
All of these excuses smack of insincerity. They're insincere excuses. I mean, you don't buy a field without looking at it first. Would you buy a house without looking at it? No. Since he had already bought it, there's no urgency to go, go look at it now. He's already bought it. You don't buy oxen without testing them out first. You wouldn't buy a car without test driving it, would you? Maybe. Sarah might. Oh. <laughs> huh? Yeah. <laughs> a, newly, a newlywed man was already given an extended honeymoon period in this time. When a, when a, new, when a newlywed man was, was married, he was given a, a, an extended, extended honeymoon. He was excused from work. He was excused from military service. So there was, but there was no legitimate reason for him to skip a social event just because he had gotten married. He had already been excused from other obligations. These are all insincere excuses because at the end of the day, at the end of the day, they just didn't want to come. They felt like they had better things to do. They didn't want this banquet to interfere with the things that they wanted to do. The prophets came to Israel. They refused to listen because they wanted to keep doing what they were doing. When, when confronted by the prophets, they gave excuses to try to justify their behavior. And then they would persecute them and and even killed them. Remember, remember our study in Elijah we just went through here recently? It was one of the reasons he became so discouraged and despondent. First Kings, First Kings 19, 14. I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only am left... And they seek my life to take it away. Jesus was, repoint, was pointing to the, re, the repeated rejection of his invitation. The excuses that people use. The persecution of those who come with the truth. This is true even today when the gospel goes out. Some people just ignore the gospel and they go their own way while others actively persecute those who share the gospel. Now to refuse the king's invitation was a, was a great insult. How much, more, how, much worse, how much worse to refuse an invitation from God himself? The king makes repeated invitations. The guests make repeated refusals. Like so many people today with God, they had no respect for the king. They had no respect for the king. They had no fear of the king. They just weren't interested. They just didn't care. Why didn't they come? Because they didn't want to. They didn't want to. They were more interested in their lives here than what they had built. But unfortunately, they still had to deal with the king. Look at verse 7. The king was angry, and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. That's judgment executed. The king was enraged at all this and executed judgment on the offenders. 
Not only had they mistreated and killed his servants, but they had dishonored him, disrespected his son. He had prepared a beautiful banquet for them, but they had snubbed his invitation. They put their own priorities first over coming to the wedding banquet and sharing in the joy of the king and his son. And so he sent his troops to destroy and burn their city. Now this was a prophetic reference to the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 A.D. During his triumphal entry, Jesus wept over the city in Luke 19. Luke 19, 41 through 44 And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. In the same way, when we snub God's invitation, we also open ourselves up to judgment. One day, one day there will be a final judgment ex- executed on those who have rejected His gracious invitation. Revelation 22.12 Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. God in his grace makes repeated invitations. But the day will come when the invitation will be rescinded. Those who refuse to come will face judgment instead. So that's the first part of the parable, those who refuse to come. The second part of the parable focuses on those who do come. Those who do come in verses 8 through 10. Then he said to his servants, the wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you would find. Those servants went out from the roads and gathered all whom they found, both good, bad and good. But the wedding, so the wedding hall was filled with guests. Now notice here the invitation is now extended to all who will come. All are invited. The, the king still wanted to share his great wedding feast. When those who were originally invited don't come, the king sends his servants out to invite anyone they can find. So they gather as many as they can find, both good and bad. And the wedding hall is filled with guests. Now the context here refers to what we saw in the parable of the tenants last week. Jesus came to the Jewish people first. When they did not receive him, when they rejected Jesus as Messiah, the gospel went out to the Gentiles instead. It was taken from them. The invitation was revoked. And it was given to others instead. The invitation is now open to anyone that would come. They were no longer the chosen people. They had rejected the invitation. Notice a couple things from this part of the parable. Things that are similar to last week. 
Notice the king says, those invited were not worthy. The, the ones I originally invited don't deserve to come. The truth is, none of us deserve to come. Amen. None of us deserve to come. We're all sinners who have broken God's laws. None of us are worthy. But when it comes to God's kingdom, the worthy are those who realize that they are not worthy. The worthy are those who respond to God's free gift of grace. Now notice they, they gather everyone they can find, both bad and good. Last week we, we saw a prostitute, a tax collector. Doesn't matter what kind of sinner you are. Doesn't matter what kind of sinner you are this morning. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Jesus came to save sinners. All sinners. Notice that the wedding hall was filled with guests. 1 Timothy 2.4, he desires all people would be saved, come to the knowledge of the truth. God wants everyone to come. That's his desire. Not that all will be saved, but that's God's desire is that everyone would be saved. That everyone would accept his son. That everyone would be, be reunited with him. It's what he wants. He wants everyone to come. In the end, Jesus will be glorified and honored as God's son. John records what will happen in, in Revelation 7. Revelation 7, 9 through 10. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Amen. One day there will be a great banquet in heaven. It doesn't matter what kind of sinner you are. It doesn't matter how good or bad. We or, or others think that we are. It doesn't matter where you come from, whether you're from the, the wrong side of town or the, the other side of the world. Jew or, or Gentile, rich or poor, male or female, good or bad, the gracious invitation is available to all, for all to come. We come to Jesus as we are, but we don't stay that way. Jesus not only saves us from the penalty of sin, He also saves us from the power of sin. And He is the only way to do either of those things. That's illustrated for us in this next part of the parable. The man with no wedding clothes. Look again at verses 11-13. through 13. But when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw there, were, there a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, Friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? 
And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, Bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. In this part we see that all are invited, but not all get dressed. Now this is perhaps the most difficult part of the parable to understand. The most disturbing, too. And it's meant to be disturbing. Now this does not mean that we, we can be thrown out of heaven. Remember, this is a, a parable, so not everything in a parable necessarily lines up completely with reality. Parables are, are meant to surprise, surprise us or shock us into to revealing a truth. The idea here is even if somebody could, even if somebody could sneak into the wedding feast, even if they could sneak into heaven somehow without Jesus, they couldn't stay there. The king comes into the party and he sees those gathered there. The wedding garments refers to clean, fresh clothing. Sometimes they were supplied by the host to wear when you came. It was unthinkable to come to a wedding banquet in dirty clothes. We would hardly think of doing that today, would we? We wouldn't show up to a wedding in, in dirty clothes. We would insult the host. We'd only assume that you're ignorant or you haven't truly been invited, that you're a wedding crasher. You didn't even, you didn't even bother to prepare for the banquet. In the parable, the king comes out and he inspects the guests. He looks them over attentively. He examines them. And he, and he notices the man with no wedding clothes. He approaches him gently at first and asks him, Friend, how did you get in here? How did you get in here without wedding clothes? The man is speechless. He has nothing to say in his own defense. The Bible says that one day we will be speechless before God. When He confronts us with our sin on Judgment Day. God's light will expose our darkness and there will be no excuses. There will be no bargaining. No negotiations before His throne. Man with no wedding clothes is a warning and a reminder that not all who seem to come to God truly believe. Wedding clothes picture the righteousness needed to enter God's kingdom. Filthy clothing is often a symbol of sin in the Bible. While clean clothing is a symbol of righteousness. Isaiah 64.6 All of us have become like one who was unclean, and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. Zechariah 3, 3-4 Now Joshua was dressed in filthy clothes as he stood before the angel. The angel said to those who were standing before him, Take off his filthy clothes. Then he said to Joshua, See, I have taken away your sin, and I will put fine garments on you. Isaiah 61.10 I will rejoice greatly in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God, for He has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. 
Revelation 22.14, Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. Amen. The wedding clothes are a symbol of righteousness that comes through faith in Christ. When you come to faith in Christ, God does two things. First, He gives you the perfect righteousness of God. He wraps you in Jesus' righteousness. He wraps you in Jesus' righteousness. When you come before Him, he's, when you come before God, He sees Jesus' righteousness instead of your sin. It's not your righteousness. It's Jesus' righteousness. But God treats it as if it is your own. He wraps you. He clothes you in the righteousness of Christ. And the God not only gives you Jesus' righteousness, He also begins to make you righteous yourself. He gives you the Holy Spirit to help you grow in righteousness. We usually refer to this as our progressive sanctification. As we become His, he, His Spirit helps us to become righteous. This is the imparted righteousness of Christ. The first one is the imputed. The imputed that is, it is given to us. It's, it's wrapped onto, it's given to our credit. This next one is the imparted. But both of them come from Jesus. Both of them are His that we are covered with, that we are clothed in. So what was wrong with a man who tried to enter the wedding feast without any wedding clothes? He thought his own clothes were good enough. He thought what he was wearing was, was good enough. He thought he didn't have to change. He didn't need to change. He thought he didn't need Jesus. He trusted in his own righteousness instead of Jesus' righteousness. There's a hymn that we sing, we just sang this morning, that applies to this, the solid rock. And here's a couple of the verses of it. Hope you, when you sing these, these hymns that we sing, these songs that we sing, I hope you pay attention to the words. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly trust in Jesus' name. When he shall come with trumpet sound, oh, may I then in him be found, dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. All other ground is shifting stand. All other ground is shifting stand. If you are not standing on Christ, if you are not clothed in His righteousness, it will turn out just like this man here. When you stand before the throne of God, if you're clothed in your own righteousness, your own deeds, you will be just like this man and you will be cast out to the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You will be speechless. There will be nothing you will be able to say. A man without the wedding clothes serves as a warning to examine yourself this, 
this morning to see if you are really in the faith. Are you trusting in Jesus' righteousness or your own good works? Because only those who put their trust in Jesus will be saved. Are you dressed in His righteousness alone? Claiming to belong at the wedding feast while refusing to wear the correct garments was like the nation of Israel claiming to be God's people, but refusing to live for Him. Like, a, like the wicked tennis that deserved a, a miserable death. Those that are found without the, without the proper garments will be cast out into outer darkness. Jesus ends this parable by saying, For many are called, but few are chosen. Those invited and those chosen. This is not the irresistible call that Paul refers to in Romans 8. Here it refers to an invitation. Many are invited, but few are chosen. The invitation has gone out to all of Israel. They had, replied, they had relied on themselves being God's chosen people. We're God's chosen people. They refused to submit, to believe, to follow Him. They rejected the clean robes offered to them through Christ. Remember the guest in the parable? Jesus said that they did not want to come. They did not want to come. Their wills were set against it. And that's all of us. Our wills are, sent, are set against God. We don't want to come. And so when the gospel invitation comes, we make all sorts of excuses. Put our, our plans, our priorities first. Some even get hostile toward those who are sharing the good news. The invitation goes out to all, but not everyone who is invited responds. Which brings us back to our original question. Why is that? Why is that? Why do some people respond while others do not? The Bible tells us that no one can respond on their own. No one can respond on their own. Jesus said in John 6.44, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up the last day. Our wills are set against God, and so God needs to draw us to himself. While anyone can be saved by the grace of God, before anyone can be saved, they must be called by God. You can only be saved when the Lord is dealing with your heart. And this is one of the most dangerous areas of salvation. Many people experience times when they feel convicted of their sins. They feel that conviction. Whether it's in church or wherever it is, they feel the conviction in their hearts. But they put God off for whatever reason. They know they need to repent and believe, to accept the invitation, but they... They think that they'll be able to do it sometime later, when they're ready. That's not the case. It's not the case. God's patience with you may reach an end. And then it will be too late. 
The only time anyone can ever be saved is when the Lord is dealing with your heart. To le left to your own devices, you'll give every excuse. You don't even recognize your need for Christ. I don't need those clothes. I don't need Jesus. I'm a good person. Compared to the world, look at me. I'm not bad. If only God graded on a curve. But He doesn't. Only time you can actually be saved is when the Lord is dealing with your heart. When He penetrates that darkness, that hardened heart, and He reveals the truth of who you are and who He is. That is the time. That is the time that you can truly come to Him. God in His gracious mercy gives repeated invitations. There will come a day when His patience will come to an end. After, after the Spirit of God has been turned away so many times, God will no longer deal with a hardened heart. He will eventually turn you over. The Bible says He turns them over. If you turn Him, if you spurn Him often enough, eventually He will say, that's what you want? Okay. If that's really what you want, there you go. And then you're lost. If you fail to respond to the call of the Lord for salvation, you risk stepping over God's deadline and condemning your soul to hell. He is the one that sets the deadline, not you. He is the one that is in control. The Lord has been calling you to be saved. Come today. Come today. Come today. Do not ignore His invitation. Accept it while you still have time. Do it now. 2 Corinthians 6.2 says, Behold, today is the day of salvation. If you feel the Lord dealing with your heart, take care of it today. You don't know that you've got tomorrow. You don't know that you've got an hour from now. If you feel the Lord dealing with your heart, take care of it today. Get right with Him today. That's you. Don't leave here until you do. Come and see me. This altar is open. Do not leave until you take care of that business. Do not ignore His invitation. Won't you accept His gracious invitation today? I pray that one day that wedding hall is full that I will see every one of you there. I will see every one of you there. The great wedding feast the Lamb. Accept His gracious invitation. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, Lord Jesus, we come before you again. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth that is contained within your word. And Lord Jesus, you 
You know us so well. You know You know how we act and how we behave and you know the excuses that we use. The hardness of our hearts. Our desire to do our own thing and go our own way. I pray that if there's anyone here that's felt your spirit working within them, you calling them, that they would accept that gracious invitation today, that they would not put it off. For you have said one day your patience will draw to an end, and then you'll turn them over. Lord Jesus, I pray that we would all accept that gracious invitation. We would come dressed in Your righteousness and not our own. That we would not trust anything else. We would become among Your chosen people. That we would take the good news and that we would go out to the streets that we would invite anyone and everyone to the same good news of the Gospel of Christ. And that they would come and they would be clothed in the righteousness of Christ and they would join us in that great wedding feast of the Lamb. We pray that You would do this as You work the power of the Holy Spirit in and through us. Give You praise for all that You will do. In the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, Amen. Well, we've got something special for you too. So, you need to join in. Okay? The kids are going to be coming up. And we're going to sing the gracious invitation. If you came to, to music camp, then you know this song. And so they're gonna, the kids are going to lead us in motions. But I want you to sing too. I know they're going to be cute to watch and everything. But I want you to sing. Reflect on those words.